0: Welcome to The Sharp End. I'm Craig Brown, Senior Multi-Asset Investment Specialist for the Rathbone Multi-Asset Funds. I'm joined again by David Coombs, Head of Multi-Asset Investments. Good morning. And Will Macintosh white Fund Manager for the Rathbone Multi-Asset Funds. Morning. Morning, gents. So on this month's episode, Will, David and I are going to be discussing how we approach managing portfolios in a bear market, our love-hate relationship with earnings season, and our views on social media companies as an investment. But before we get on with the show, here are the usual do's and don'ts to keep us all on the straight and narrow. This podcast is intended for professional investors and must not be shared with a non-professional audience. Any views and opinions are those of the investment manager and coverage of any assets must be taken into context of the constitution of the fund and in no way reflect investment recommendations. Past performance should not be seen as an indication of future performance. So, gents, we're in a bear market. There's no getting away from it. Um, Let's get away from all the technical terms of what counts as a bear market because those kind of come and go at times, but it really does feel like a bear market now. Will and I were talking this morning at the desk of how this does feel like a bear market when others have kind of felt more like a a, a blip on the radar. You know, the daily red screens, the weak bounces, Nasdaq's worst month since October 2008. You know, the list kind of goes on. It's a bit of a grind and it feels pretty horrible. But I wanted to kick things off today talking about what we're doing day-to-day in these bear markets and maybe how we can best approach managing a portfolio in times like this. So David, do you want to kick us off with this one? Yes, and
1: uh, just good to be back in the room uh, after the COVID uh, episode, episode 10. Welcome back. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> Notice my voice doesn't sound like some kind of nasal spray commercial. So I agree with you. I, th- I think trying to technically define bear markets like technically defining recession, it really is. How does it feel? Yeah, As I've said before many times. Drawing historical parallels is fraught with danger. You see it all the time. People are constantly trying to somehow reassure themselves that we've been here before and it'll all be all right this time, or trying to predict what will happen from looking at the past crises and corrections, and it's all pretty much nonsense. Having said all that, <laughs> you knew there's a buck coming. This does feel a little bit like two thousand to two thousand and two. Now, why do I say that? Not because of dot com necessarily, but that was probably the two hardest years of my career. Uh, in fact, by the end of 2002, I was thinking of uh, jacking it in and doing some, something else like gardening, for example. I mean, literally two years of coming in day after day, red screens. Back back at, in those days, that was pre, pre-asset management for me. I was in private client world and institutional world and meeting clients every three months was not a lot of laughs, particularly after seven quarters of kind of you know falling markets people forget actually that to 2 wasn't just about dot com of course we had some really big corporate blowouts worldcom and and latterly enron towards the end of that and and, and enron was was even worse because of the of the failure of arthur anderson people forget it was one of the big five accountancy firms and all of a sudden no one could really rely on a set of accounts because it t- took away confidence I- I- I across the you know, every sector. So that that was really grim. And and this actually feels pretty similar. The starting place is different. The only real parallel from a starting perspective is, is valuations, but they were nowhere near some of the crazy valuations of two, of 1999. I think it was about four or five episodes of this ago, we talked about, was it lively valuations? Spicy. Spicy. Spicy, yeah. Spicy. Well, those spicy have definitely dropped to lively, if not sort of (laughs) moderately um, warm, (laughs) I think. (laughs) Although, you know, I was talking to Sammy, uh, who's on our global ops team this morning, and we were talking about Line Technologies, for example, and it's fallen something like 60%, 70% in the last sort of six months, and yet it's still on 30 times earnings, and it's not quite a value stock yet. But um, this feels like a bear market. You feel that emotion. Yeah, you know, we're talking I WhatsApped the team Friday night at 10 o'clock saying <laughs> NASDAQ's down four percent, which probably wasn't my smartest move. Yep. PM <laughs> <Thanks> <laughs> very much. Didn't start the weekend off particularly well. But that's what happens at the bear market. It overtakes everything, right? And you can't get away from it. And 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 the thing that I learned from then is you've just got to try and switch off from it and not get caught up in, in the motion and, and, and the irrationality. And so what we're trying to do is, and what we've been discussing is, okay, let's try and avoid that day-to-day noise. Uh, and again, we're going to talk about it later in the, in the show. But this is the opportunity to build your wished-for portfolio. You know, over the last five years or so, there've been a number of companies that you thought, God, missed that one, missed that one. Oh, I wish we bought that. Well, a bear market gives you that opportunity, potentially, to to buy those companies that you missed. And that's kind of what we're focused on at the moment. But we don't know when it's going to end. And it's pointless even trying to predict it, I think.
2: I mean, the difficulty is when you're thinking about those companies that you want to pick up. I and mean, if we take a line, which maybe we do, maybe we don't, for which, compliance reasons, we'll see. Uh, for compliance <laughs> reasons, I just
1: need to point out we don't own Align technologies.
2: And as you say, it's 30 times, is Align technology now and. Interesting buy. I mean, it looks a lot better than it did, but equally, rates going up, rates going up quite aggressively. Some are arguing a name like that has had this pandemic bounce, that demand's been pulled forward, and it's trying to work out at what point do you enter that trade. Now, the point you're making, I think, is that with all the noise around, you've got to take that five year view, you've got to take that longer term view, you've got to shut off the day to day noise and accept the fact if you go into a name that you like that's come back significantly, you've got to accept that it might be down 10 20% by the end of the year. Because if we are in a bear market, things could really grind low. I mean, earnings are under significant pressure. The Fed have decided to just keep going. It feels like they're almost going to raise rates until something breaks. And if that's the case, or if we get a Enron or a WorldCom, which we've discussed before, you know, we had those issues on the London Metal Exchange, for example, you know, some kind of blow up in this kind of scenario. You've got to think, what do you do with your portfolio to protect against that? And I think we've talked before about quality and making sure that we have those quality names. And, And I think when we're thinking about those names we're going to buy, improving the quality of the portfolio is something that we could have the opportunity to do through this. As you say so new names coming in but also think about maybe names we we do own we're actually now you know not exactly a one-in-one-out policy but you're starting to find that actually yeah this has been a good name to own but now we can you know buy some better companies out there
0: i think you're right as you said you know you don't know when that bottom is and you're buying high quality companies but it could be another 10 15 and that's why i think that discipline of, of kind of buying in increments you know take a piece you get more volatility, you can add a bit more, you know, use the volatility as an advantage almost. You get a few bites of the cherry that way. And it's important during these times to have that discipline. I think if you lack discipline during these markets, that's when you're going to get pulled from pillar to post all over the place, chasing markets. And you know, I know that's something we talk about a lot in the team, both in fixed income, actually, but also within equities, having that discipline around when you take positions, when you add to positions, and, and equally when you trim positions, which has been something which has been key, you know, in some of the stronger markets over the last six months or so market timing forget it
1: you know you are whistling in the wind at the moment and i think what's also you know when you think about what are the characteristics of a bear market and as i say, we're not going to talk about the mechanics or the, the mathematics around it because i think it's pointless and doesn't really add any value but look at the commentators look at the analysts the strategists the economists 12 months ago everything was bullish growth was Okay, maybe at, at the bearish end was probably just below trend, but everyone was feeling optimistic, COVID reopening. Everyone was talking about, no one was talking about inflation 12 months ago. No one was talking about recession 12 months ago. And now all of a sudden, every commentator is predicting inflation recession because things have got a bit worse. And it's classic bear market. Without Everyone's turning bearish or negative on everything. The market takes everything as a negative. And sometimes you've got to get to that peak bearishness, if you like, and it was interesting that Deutsche Bank came out with, what was it, a Fed fund rate prediction of 5 to 6%, which the market's nowhere near that at the moment. Uh, that is spicy. That is, is very spicy. <laughs> and they were also forecasting a very deep recession in the States. Now, not impossible. But in a weird sort of way, I'm kind of r- slightly reassured now that we're getting to, you know, how long before Goldman Sachs come out and say 9% Fed funds rate and, <laughs> you know, we're going into a depression. I mean, they'll all be out looking to outdo each other. But it feels now that we're getting towards the, the, the time when all of these kind of so-called smart people are getting so negative that you, you feel how, how much more negative can it get? And actually. You start to get the opportunity of, of positive surprises, and it's it's time to start of start thinking about what are the catalysts? What are we looking for? Now, the obvious one is clearly Russia pulls out of Ukraine. Well, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. For me, the positive catalyst is most likely to be the Fed is less hawkish than the language. And I think we said this in the last podcast. I'm sticking with that. I still think that Fed funds will peak at a lower level than the market currently thinks, and it will get there more slowly. Oh, oh, sorry, it might get there more quickly in the short term, but I think it'll peak much, much more quickly than the market thinks. And that because the Fed aren't sitting in a bubble, right? They can see the numbers. They can see what's happening. And I don't think Powell wants to go down in history mm-hmm. as being the man that took the US economy
0: into it a deep recession or worse. I mean, you look at the 10-year mortgage rate at the moment, it's gone up from, what, three and a half in the, sorry, 30-year mortgage rate in the States, gone up from, what, three and a half to, to five and a half nearly. I mean, that's put your mortgage payment up seven $800, you know, if you're a mortgage holder in in the US. And we aren't the only ones that have access to that information. Clearly, the Fed have access to that information and they know the outcome of, of keeping pushing ahead aggressively. So, you know, they, they can't be in a bubble. They, they must be seeing this. They must be worried about it. And, and in the UK, I've seen sort of one
1: article i think it was last week saying that immigration rates are picking up again in the uk post pandemic predominantly from asia and north africa presumably into, into social care and, and hospitality etc and if that is the case then that makes me slightly more optimistic on the outlook for, for, for the uk economy because you know i was very concerned about wage growth getting out of out of um, control and if immigration is picking it back up to pre covid levels based on the government's skills-based immigration policy now, then that takes at least one issue potentially away of, of you know, rapid wage growth and pushing inflation even higher.
2: It does. I do agree with that. Although it does mean that with higher inflation, people aren't getting paid as much, which uh, doesn't doesn't overly help the consumer. Um, and it is that inflation that needs to come down, right? That's I know we've skewed away from bear market discussions into into the Fed and inflation, but it's difficult to get away from. And it's that inflation bit that I think needs to come down. You saw, when I mean, we go back to the US, you saw high wage inflation. You know, I, I think that has to come down. The US just has to. I think people people will come back into the workforce. I'm sure many people are left and finding the cost of living is going to force them back into yeah, the workforce. Yeah. You've got durable goods costs coming down. Um, I know there are plenty of inflationary pressures out there, but I, I feel somebody said to me the other day, you know, the cure for higher prices is higher prices. Um, because higher prices, you know, means demand will come down. And I think you're going to start to see that through the rest of the year. And I think in terms of portfolio, you know, where that leaves me is certainly thinking that owning more US Treasuries at these kind of levels is not a bad thing because you've inflation coming down, inflation stays sticky, you're going to have the Fed pushing very aggressively. And I think at some point that really hurts demand and uh Kind of feel like either way, starting to own more U.S. Treasuries. At I think it's a really good know, example
0: of where you've mentioned, you know, that wage pressure maybe starts to come off. Is actually in the trucking industry. You know, truckers. Uh, you know, last year, huge shortage, wages ramped up, and actually there was a supply response from you know the workforce at large to those higher wages. And actually, what we're seeing now, there's an article yesterday that a lot of logistics companies were actually saying that the problem is no longer truckers. We've got plenty of them. That that wage increase enticed people to come into you know a line of work which. We're not seeing them now actually the problem is is kind of the trucks and the trailers but it's interesting that you know ultimately you do start to see the labor force move along with with higher wages people clearly you know are looking at that and, and seeing that as attractive when previously they didn't so maybe that comes in other um, in other sectors as well. Um, lastly, on this bear market, if you want a little morsel of positivity out the back of this, I think it's interesting that Warren Buffett's been on the biggest stock buying spree in the decades, about $51 billion in Q1. And I also found it interesting that he bought a lot in the oil space and tech, which sounds familiar. So we do appreciate your listenership, uh, Mr. Buffett. Thank you very much for your support. <laughs> um, <laughs> so earnings season is back again. The good old earnings season, it feels like you're on this hamster wheel time and time again. You just see the earnings season in the rearview mirror and then you're coming upon it um, again. You know, we've got a bit of a love-hate relationship in the team with this perpetual cycle. Sorry, don't don't, when do we love it? Well, I think sometimes you love it, sometimes you hate it. You know, depends on what the (laughs) earnings numbers are probably. Um, But for all the noise, there is a little morsel of good in this as well. So, Will, as you're the the chief earnings calendar keeper uh, in the team, you know, you're the guy that's (laughs) that's always telling awesome. us when the earnings are coming out. It seems fitting to pass on to you to kick things off on earnings Thank season. It's very, very important role, though. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's key. key. Well, you'd be lost I for that. But exactly. We would, exactly. We would. exactly. We would. When would we know? Um, <laughs> I think
2: your point about why we like earnings season sometimes is because it can give us a good opportunity to buy the stocks we like cheaper because people get overly concerned with short-term results. Um, so to a certain extent, that does suit us. So we yeah I don't know where to start. I'll start with Amazon actually because it kind of ties into something that we were talking about you know in the previous section, which is that Amazon just had results and they saw their earnings under significant pressure. Uh, revenue growth nowhere near what it was last year. Unsurprising because they had such a massive pandemic boost right. They've been a big beneficiary of the pandemic, the growth in e-commerce, and so seeing those revenues slow not a surprise, really, per se. I think revenue's up 7% year on year. What I thought was interesting is they were talking about capacity, a little bit of overcapacity in their fulfillment centers, talking about as people have coming back from being away from the workforce because of COVID, not not on a long-term basis, but sort of short-term people in and out of COVID. But as that started to ease, they've had their workers come back. And so actually they found they've got too much capacity. So just going back to what we were talking about before, interesting point that actually they're talking about letting some people go. And they're not alone. You've had that with Netflix as well. Well, not the airlines. Not the airlines, (laughs) no, no, it's definitely pockets. It's definitely pockets. But for everything that we hear about people struggling to attract labor, you are just starting to hear about certain areas say, actually, maybe we've taken on too many people. Maybe we need to now cut some costs, particularly as earnings are under pressure. And, And what you've seen through earnings season this year, I think has been very instructive. So at the top end, so revenues have generally been ahead, revenues growing part. Some of that, of course, is cost, but you've seen margins under pressure. You've seen earnings under pressure. And again, you can almost bucket these names into different sections. So you've had those companies that have managed to push those costs through, um, and that is not easy. Um, there are plenty of names in our portfolio. You know, We've often talked about targeting those with pricing power and can push costs through, um, many of whom have done that job very well. I took, look at Coke. I mean, Coke's... Mm. Organic revenues were up 18%, which is absolutely remarkable. Now, clearly, they're slightly benefiting from a reopening trend, for sure, um, but the ability to pass on costs, I think they increased prices eleven percent, which is remarkable.
1: Or their tins uh, are getting ever smaller. I <laughs>
2: heard yeah. Yeah, that shrinkflation. Shrinkflation. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. As a, as a shareholder, yeah. I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that. Good for your teeth as well. Uh, <laughs> Less sugar. <laughs> so, you, so you've had those that have been able to push pricing through relatively successfully. You've had those that have done it to a certain extent, but some pressure on margin. You've had some that have really struggled to do that. Now we've owned a couple. Uh, so Nike, Keon and Jung Heimrich, uh, Badger Meter and the sustainable portfolios. So not everyone has been able to do that as much as they would have liked. And, and those names are are being punished. Now, the question I guess is, how long do those margin pressures stick around for? And I think we can all agree, probably for the rest of this year, to a certain extent, or certainly in the next six months, but the picture should start easing. By it should, it should, that and, and, and that's the Please. thing, isn't it? That second point <laughs> is what are market's saying. You know, are they saying now that that pressure is going to be there for the next two, three years? And I think perhaps they are. And I think maybe some of that easing, as long as as long as we don't go into significantly, you know, into a recession um, where demand's getting destroyed as well.
1: Sure. But what's been interesting with this earnings season, I mean, the earnings season is always a bit of a casino, to be honest, but this one's been even more interesting because it's in a bear market, uh, <laughs> is that, you know, companies that have exceeded have kind of the share price has been flattish. Companies that have met have fallen and companies that have missed, have almost collapsed, right? Down 10, 15% and the quant, you know, the quant funds are kind of probably adding adding to that. Also, any company, that says it's going to invest more into infrastructure has been absolutely be cratered. <laughs> I mean, the short-termism of the market is staggering, really. It's, if you're going to invest in your business right now, we don't want to own you. I mean, it's, mm. it's madness. Absolute. Mm. I think earning season is absolute madness, mm. and it should stop because I don't think it's, Particularly healthy for anybody, actually, the shareholders, the companies. It means the management teams are constantly, every three months, on this ridiculous roadshow and, and, and roller coaster. It's, it's crazy. And then it, it should, to me, interim results every six months and then a full year, that should be more than enough for, for genuine long term investors. It's just become ludicrous.
2: I mean, that short term nature. It's funny, I think I've t- pointed this out before and it came back where I was reading an analyst saying, oh, I quite like this name for the back end of the year, but I'm not sure you want to own it. For yeah. the- <laughs> it might be dead money for the next four months. And you're sort of like, well, my, am I buying this for a year or am I buying this for five years? It's that like the analyst
1: years. that reduced, it reduced the... Uh, the uh, rating on, on Netflix after the 30% drop from the... Yeah. from
0: their top buy list, I <laughs> yeah. think, to... Uh-
1: <laughs> Having reappraised Netflix, we're now downgrading it. We're at great, it's down 35% over the last 24 hours. You know, it's it, that's the trouble. You get into this ridiculous short-term view. Now, Netflix, we don't own and, and, and still don't own. But for me, you know, again, earnings season's just like a bear market. It's important not to get caught up in the game and to try and look through this short-term narrative and the constant volatility created by, I think, the quant funds and the hedgies.
2: So you're pushing for um, move to annual results only?
1: Well, biannual, annual, maybe every two years, maybe <laughs> three years. <laughs> i mean- certainly help
2: Will's calendar
0: anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Your spread should be less tricky. It feels like a good time to move on to our, our third and final topic. So um, you know, unless you've been living under a rock for the last few weeks, it won't have escaped you, that everyone's... Favorite eccentric billionaire has uh, has decided to Who's buy that? Twitter. Uh, well, you know he should re- should remain no, nameless. No, you, I begin. you should name him because <laughs> uh, well, lawyers, I, I, I was going to say I'd prefer not to. Uh, I'd escape his ire. So you know it, it, well, it looks like he's going to buy Twitter anyway. But the banks involved in the financing package may be taking a bit more of a look again at the uh, the, the the borrowing leverage on Tesla shares over the last week or so. But uh, we'll see. But I mean pure play. Social media companies has never really been a subsector that we've found particularly interesting or exciting from an investment perspective, you know, despite having, you know, vast reach and have been part of the zeitgeist for sort of many years now. And clients often asked us, you know, why don't you own some of these pure play social media companies? So let's, let's sort of tackle that now, David. What, what is it about social media companies that you can't uh, subscribe to? If you'll excuse the pun. Ha, ha.
1: <laughs> Um so I guess you're referring to Sounds Like Rusk, who's just <laughs> who's just put in a bid for Twitter. Um, a company we don't own. Probably wish we'd owned it last week if the share price moves up. I think the trouble with these companies, and I'm gonna challenge my own view in a minute because I, I can see where there is a bull case, but the way some of these companies are actually run, and you mentioned sounds like or sounds like Tusk, but Jack Dorsey, Mark um Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg, I can never remember his name. I mean, <laughs> how can I not remember his name? It says it all, really. Yeah, these guys, they kind of run these businesses not necessarily just as businesses. They're, they're kind of on some kind of their, their own uh, agendas, whether that's just ego-driven, whether it's kind of some relig- religious zeitgeist, whatever. I mean, certainly when you, you know, I met with Twitter in San Francisco and we came out of that meeting, David Harrison and myself, like, well, wow, that's not a business we can invest in because the key metrics have got nothing to do with ROE and, and that's okay people can invest in that business on that basis but you know that's not why we invest and you know Facebook I mean goodness knows what's doing with Meta and what Tesla's doing with space and now going into Twitter you know I'm not convinced these companies are run for the shareholders, or, or even for the customers, actually.
2: Well, Zuckerberg, infamously said that they weren't running, or he didn't view yeah. Facebook as being run for profit. We well, should
1: buy in a sustainable fund. Then. No, no, <laughs> it's not an impact fund. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah. So, I think one, you've got to query the actual business strategy around some of these names. Now, two is the biggest risk that I've always felt, and it's not, it's an ESG risk, if you like. We didn't think of it as an ESG risk. We first thought about it, but for me, it was about privacy. And at some stage, the world's going to wake up, and the teenagers are going to wake up, and to go, "That's there forever." And you know, we've already seen people non-platformed, lose their jobs, apply for jobs and not 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 get them when they've done, when when you know the background checks are done because they have tweeted something that now looks ten years later as inappropriate. Um, at some stage, I just felt that people would start being a bit nervous about putting photographs of their kids on the internet. And that eventually, you start to see that waning of, custo- of customer usage. And we've seen a bit of that, I think, with Facebook, but not as much as I thought might have happened. So, yeah, I think from a, from a customer perspective, I wasn't quite sure of the longevity and monetizing some of them as well. And secondly, and so, and finally, yeah, I think strategically you've got to question why these guys are still in the game.
2: The fashion element was always a concern for me. I was less concerned about the privacy area, but the fact that people might just say, I don't want to use Facebook anymore. I mean, I hardly use it myself, but I'm sure I'm not being a middle-aged millennial I'm not sure. He I'm loves that. He, just, he came We're up with that term this morning. That, just, that wasn't me. He was a two to use it. <laughs> yeah. <really>. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, when Snap came along, I was a bit concerned that that might take share, and I actually don't know whether it has or not. But it seems to be TikTok. It's all TikTok now, isn't it? it? Is, um, which, which seems to have taken massive share, and they're trying to fight back with these short reels and et cetera, et cetera. But that I think is just you know a major concern as as people move away from this, and you know, and ultimately when you think about these things their advertisers, right? That's where that's where they're getting their revenue from. The media from. companies. Yeah, the media companies, and again, revenue from advertisers. Not tech. Um, and I think it's interesting that Netflix of course now are talking about a ad yeah. service, you know, so you don't pay your subscription because, you know, they're struggling to, you know, put those prices up. <laughs> put those prices up, exactly. Yeah. And so technically they're offering a cut price subscription service, which can have ads. Um, now, I don't know what that does to advertising universe, but what I do know is that's a lot more supply coming yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so in your simple supply and demand dynamics, there is an element of concern there. Now, of course, we don't completely avoid this universe, we own Alphabet, which owns YouTube. So there might be some pressure there. Now, I'm a bit more relaxed about YouTube, but you've got this big argument around sort of hate speech and and control. And this is kind of why Tusk, (laughs) has uh, targeted Twitter because he he calls himself a free speech absolutist. And it's supposed to be because, you you know... Yeah, not not sure the SEC
1: would agree with some of his free speech. I think, maybe (laughs) not. (laughs) Maybe not.
2: But they do have a problem, right? It's really difficult to control. And I was reading an article about how um, someone wished someone good luck in this play. And they said, break a leg and kill all the lawyers. And of course, that's infamous. Oh, yeah, I read that. Yeah infamous line and someone saw it as say you know inciting hate (laughs) and violence (laughs) Um, and perhaps you know clearly they're not a fan of the theatre I'm not sure personally I would have (laughs) known exactly which you know play it was from either but I think how they tackle that becomes really difficult because if they don't tackle it successfully brands get a little bit wary of being found to be next to a video of this or a comment on that. And that probably means spend, right? And it's either spend on AI to, g- to get it done properly or more uh, people to look at this space.
1: But that's the bull case, isn't it? The bull case is you're bringing more regulation, requiring more spend to, to actually, to to your point, to actually tackle those issues you just highlighted. Mm-hmm. And that acts as a barrier to entry to the new entrants. And actually, the bulls of social media companies, we know who they are, have always said, the best friend to these companies is more regulation, which sounded counterintuitive, Mm. but actually you can see it, right? Because the more complex that
0: gets, the more likely the incumbents win. And I guess that's the bull case. It's like our own industry, isn't it? It's the finance industry, you know, regulation arguably helped the bigger players and it's much harder now to start a small asset manager, a small financial advisor than it would have been 15, years ago.
1: Regulation prevents disruption. That's a good point to end that with. Well there
0: you go. Look at that. Regulation, defence,
1: disruption. (laughs) You heard it here
0: first. So thank you very much for that uh, for that, gents. So Next, I apologise to those of you, or the the six or seven of you anyway, that are lamenting the demise of the mixtape. You know, I step away from the mic for one month and it gets axed. Um, My sneaky suspicion is that the team were just worried about my musical genius, um, (laughs) you know, what I had in store for you all for the months going forward and have just decided to kind of duck out. But uh, for those of you that weren't able to listen last month, our new segment is, is AOB or any other business. And really it's a chance for each of us to vent our spleen a bit about something that's really frustrated us over the last month, um, David, I can I can see you it ch- champing at the bit to get going. Um, so so why don't you kick minutes, us off? Yeah uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, only one though, David, please. So I've already
1: ranted about earnings seasons. I feel like I'm getting a second <laughs> <Yeah>. chance, second <laughs> second rant this time. Um, this one is about uh, Monzo actually. So in the last week or so, one of my we had a bit of a whip round for a senior colleague who's retiring very very soon. I won't mention his name. Uh, Julian Chillingworth our uh, CIO <laughs> anyway, we, did a, we did a collection a monstrous collection for him and bought him a tree that's how we rock and roll in Bones. <laughs> and um, I had to pay my colleague some money towards this and she asked me to credit her Monzo account uh, Monzo immediately rejected both of my debit cards and I had to pay her in an old-fashioned way so I thought okay well I'll open my own Monzo account and I got rejected, <laughs> <laughs> um, which was yeah. I got rejected by Klarna last year, so I'm getting a bit of a bit of a bit of a thing about digital disruptions and fintech. They don't work, right? <laughs> Maybe they just don't like it. No boomers, but don't you think it's probably it's probably an age thing, right? But don't you in a way sort of way one should be worried because if the AI is this bad. Because bearing in mind, I don't have any debt by the way. And because I am regulated by the FCA and they do regular, biannual, full criminal checks on me, I'm pretty sure my credit score is okay. It just worries me about this move from digital. So I'm gonna start hoarding cash under the bed from now on because
0: digital <laughs> for fintech sucks.
2: I think they're just protecting their brand. Um- <laughs> <laughs> you
0: yeah, know, David out there was flashing his Monzo card around. <laughs> Actually my wife got
1: one, it's really orange and horrible. Yeah, uh, you only I go for the black like car, coral,
0: so you coral, David, coral the they
2: call coral. it. Coral. Mm. Very nice. So, uh, Will. Fine. Mine is I'm spending a bit more time in a car having moved out into the sticks. So I'm listening to the radio more than I have done for a long time. And Ed Sheeran, he's a very talented artist, but can he just take a break? Like, honestly, <laughs> you go from. I uh, to switch Ed Sheeran on Radio 1, switch to Capital, kids. He's there. What, you used listen to Radio 1? On it doesn't matter what you you're listen over to. You are there. too old to listen he's to Radio there. 1, Will, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to stop. <laughs> anyway, so Ed, if you're listening, take a break, have a sabbatical. You know, done a good job, but call it a day for a bit. Harsh. Wow.
0: So uh, my rant is going to be on companies that decide to have unpronounceable names. Um, you know who you are, all of you. Um, there are many of you out there that name have Name and shame. Go on. Well, that have names that are either. I'm not going to name and shame. I'll get sued. But um, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to struggle to pronounce your name. Give me a company name that I can pronounce nice and easily. No, don't go removing half of the vowels or anything like that. doesn't make you edgy. doesn't make you interesting. It just makes it so I don't know how to say the name of your company. I can't think who
2: you're talking about. I can't
0: think. No, of course. I'm sure many of you out there can't. So for me, um, you know, I just think make a nice name that I can pronounce, that I can tell people about, that I don't have to sort of have an argument with many of my colleagues, as they all know, many times over about how to pronounce the company name. So please, simple so that's, company names. That's the worst thing that's happened to you over the last month. Well, wow, it's been you, quite an easy. I've been on holiday. i yeah. I've had a nice month, actually. It's all that a work no trip. Thing. Oh Yeah, so, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <been on> <laughs> Ah. In fact, buy expense just be rejected. Yeah, exactly. So, on that note, um, before I get HR into the room, um, so thank you for joining us. And we hope uh, you'll join us again for the next monthly installment of The Sharp End. If you didn't listen at the time, please feel free to go back and listen to our earlier episodes. Last month, David Will and Rahab discussed the inflationary and recessionary risks and how that might impact markets, what the difficult start to the year for ESG investing might mean for its future, and why US cosmetics and skincare retailer Ulta Beauty has been so resilient in these tough markets. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcasting platforms and some uh, smaller ones as well. And please don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button. Also feel free to rate and review as well. And if you'd like to hear more about the Rathbone multi-asset funds, please speak to your usual Rathbone sales contact or on the website at www.rathbonefunds.com. Thanks again.